Hey everyone, I'm Sally Abed. I'm Dina Kraft. I'm a Palestinian activist in Israel. And I'm a Jewish-Israeli journalist. This is Groundwork. A podcast about Palestinians and Israelis refusing to accept the status quo and working to change it. Groundwork is a joint production of New Israel Fund and the Alliance for Middle East Peace. If you ask Palestinian citizens of Israel what their number one political issue is, one of the most common answers is organized crime and violence within their communities. According to recent polls conducted by the research center Accord, this issue comes ahead of even the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Crime in Arab cities and towns in Israel is a huge problem. Palestinian citizens of Israel make up about 20% of the population, but in recent years, they account for over 70% of all homicide victims. In fact, most of these cases go unsolved, adding to the trauma. And the crisis is not spoken about enough in Israeli society as a whole. When it does come up, the discussion is often laced with racism and stereotypes. Yeah, one example is that many Israelis, including the current police commissioner, have blamed Arab quote-unquote nature for the high crime and murder rate within the community. But community leaders and experts say this reality is rooted in decades of fundamental inequality. For today's story, we follow one expert, activist Maisam Jaljuli. Maisam wears many hats. She's a union organizer, she's a feminist activist, and she's a civil society leader. And most recently, she's been working with Palestinian Arab women against the scourge of crime and violence. As always, Dina and I will be back at the end of the episode to give some reflection on this topic. But first, journalist Maria Rashid, who spent the day with Maisam, has the story. A quick note, I should tell you that this episode contains descriptions of death and dying that may be difficult to hear. Please consider this before listening yourself or with young children. There's no exit of the highway for Jisr Zara, a small Palestinian village in northern Israel. In order to get there, you have to pass the village, get off the next exit, and drive back down a one-lane road. Driving through the city, I see children playing in narrow streets, trash is piled up, and the buildings are packed together. I'm here to meet Maisam Jaljuli, a Palestinian citizen of Israel, a social activist, a feminist, and a political organizer. I see her waiting for me on the side of the road, in front of her great Toyota RAV4. Maisam is in her 40s. She's got a short, chic haircut and is wearing jeans and high-heeled boots. After a quick high, it's clear there's no time for small talk. I think that every one of us is in danger. Activists are in danger, but people who don't do nothing and sitting in their home are in danger. 2021 was the deadliest year for Arab society in Israel, with 126 people killed in crime-related incidents. 2022 was similarly tragic with 116 murders. Any one of us, any one of us could be in the wrong place in the wrong time. I nod in agreement. Every time I go visit my family in Nazareth, Israel's largest Arab city, I feel tense. Shooting has become the norm. It is part of our everyday lives as Palestinian citizens of Israel. Maisam has come to Jisr Zara with four members of an organization called Mothers for Life, Ummahat Min Ajlil Haya. Maisam is one of its leaders. All of its members are mothers. All of them have had a child murdered in crime-related violence. They join us outside the car. 
One of them, Ghbariya Kifah, tells me that since 2019, she has lost six members of her family. The last few years have been a nightmare. What Fajabali tells me she lost her son in 2018. Today, the group will be visiting the family of a 14-year-old boy, Walid. He was murdered just a few days before our visit. He had gone out to eat pizza with his sister and was hit by a straight bullet. This is not the group's first visit like this. They've been visiting bereaved mothers for years now, offering support and providing them a platform to demand justice for their lost ones. Something I often hear from Jewish Israelis is that the high crime rate in my community is our own fault. Our culture is backwards. Our people are violent. Itamar Benkvir, the now Minister of National Security, campaigned on this messaging. But Maysam isn't having it. When I bring it up, she gestures to the buildings around us. Many of them are falling apart. This is Zarqa is, you know, the poorest village in Israel. People here live in a huge poverty. And walking in the streets of Dusra Zarqa, you can see it in your eyes, you know. One of the big issues here, she says, is that Arab cities receive far less funding, urban planning and infrastructure development than most Jewish Israeli ones. Dusra Zarqa is an example. Around 80% of the residents live below the poverty line. While a few minutes away, just next door, is the Jewish town of Kaysaria one of the wealthiest places in Israel. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has a home there. With Arab towns largely neglected by the government, they suffer from high unemployment, lack of good public schools, and a few opportunities for social mobility. The whole government's neglected the education, housing, and a bank system. The bank system is awful in our society, and banks are not willing to give loans to the Arab communities. Crime organizations have filled the void. They do this in a lot of ways. They offer a way to make a living. They offer status. They promise protection. They also offer loans, which many people take simply because they have no other option. And you know what does it mean when crime organizations give a citizen a loan? Maysam called the situation the Wild West. Defaulting on a loan can mean getting shot. A disagreement with a neighbor can lead to gang warfare. One murder leads into another as people take the law into their own hands. There is work to be done within the community, Maysam says. Mothers for Life, for example, recruits volunteers to help build safe zones like community parks and centers. But, she says, the government also needs to be held responsible. And it's no accident that the government is underfunding Palestinian communities. This is a policy to keep these people in poverty. And you saw when we entered the village how it looks like. So, when we are talking about crimes, we are talking about criminals, let's come and see the socioeconomic situation in every place. And Jisra Zarqa is that, you know, the most tragic place here in Israel. And the only reason that it's Residents are Palestinians. Mothers for Life started back in 2020 with a protest march. Mona Khalil, another of the mothers with us today, was one of its organizers. She tells me, I was hoping the march would raise awareness and help catch the man who killed my son. She said that she knew, that everybody knew, 
who had killed him. And they told the police, but the police had not arrested him. The march lasted six days. It started all the way in northern Israel in Haifa and ended in Jerusalem, where the mother sat down with then-president Reuven Rivlin to talk. They shared their pain. They demanded action. Outside, hundreds of people, Jews and Arabs, waited. But in the end... After the march, we saw that nobody cared anymore. Radio silence. Nothing changed. And what's worse, the police never brought Mona's son's killer to justice. The majority of my society is a majority that wants to live in peace. But till now, they are depressed because they lost hope. And I want to bring the hope back to the society. Maysam sat down with Mona and other mothers from the march. Together, they decided that if they united, if they brought more mothers together and continued speaking out about their pain and loss, about crime and guns, about the police and their absence, well, then something might actually get done. You know, this voice was important because it had never been heard. This woman, actually, the society demanded from them to stay home and to cry alone. Nobody wanted to listen. Nobody wanted to know that this experience of loss. Speaking up as a woman in Palestinian society can be particularly tough. And a big part of Maisam's role in Mothers for Life is empowering women, showing women that even in the most tragic times, they have a critical voice. The society, a lot of times, you know, looks at you as the woman who acting like a man. Ah, she thinks that she can change the world. She thinks that she can do like a man. But Mothers for Life is certainly not listening to this kind of criticism. They have work to do. Since they started, Mothers for Life has regularly met with policymakers and the mayors of their own town, working with them to pass new legislation, bringing attention to the lack of funding and imploring them to do more. We start walking along the street in Jasrit Zara towards the bereaved family of the 14-year-old boy. But almost immediately, Maisam stops us. She's noticed a different home that seems to be mourning. A black cloth hangs over the entrance, a sign of grieving, and the house is crowded with people. Before I know what is happening, Maisam walks in. I follow close behind. The room is packed with women and kids, but almost no one is speaking. One woman is sitting quietly on a couch, staring blankly at a wall. She seems young and is wearing a long dress and a headscarf tied in the back. A family member tells me that she just lost her son. I express my condolences. Do you know who killed him? I ask. No, she says. Just five days ago, her son was shot in his uncle's supermarket. He was caught in the crossfire of some criminal disagreement that his family says he had nothing to do with. His 18th birthday was just a few days away. Even if the police are investigating it, the likelihood that they will find and prosecute his killer is very low. In 2021, while the police solved 71% of murders in the Jewish community, they solved just 23% in the Palestinian community in Israel. The police say that Palestinian citizens of Israel don't share the information they need to solve these murders. Maysam agrees there is a lack of shared information. 
But she says that's because Palestinian citizens of Israel don't trust the police to be able to protect them from gang vengeance if they share information. They also simply don't trust the police to show up when they need them. In fact, police vision is actually to fight us, not to serve us. The police vision that sees me, first of all, as a security threat, is not a police who will serve us. In other words, the larger Israeli-Palestinian conflict impacts how the police approach Palestinian citizens. Maysam says the police see her and other Arabs as potential threats themselves, more than they see them for what they are, citizens in need. Aysam offers her condolences to the mother and tells her she'll keep her updated about their work to fight crime and violence. But then she pauses. There's nothing else she can say. There's just the fact of this tragedy. Aysam promises to come again for a planned visit. And the mother nods gratefully. We start walking toward the other house. It's very hard, you know, the same neighborhood in the same small village that lost two children, actually, you know, 18 and 14. As we're walking, it occurs to me that so many people in the Arab community have been affected by this violence, that we can park anywhere in an Arab city or town, and there's a chance there will be a family in mourning. There was a lot of anger, a lot of pain. And I think that we are walking here in the street that he were killed in a mini market of his uncle. So I think it's, it's here. I think it's here. She points to a mini market. It looks like any other mini market, just like the one I go to to get my Bisley snack and cigarettes. The kid that, just, uh, that was just killed. Yes, it's Amash family. And we are going right now to other family that lost their kids two days ago. Because of the high death tolls and because of activist groups like Mothers for Life highlighting the root issues, violence in Arab cities has been getting more national attention. In October of 2021, the Israeli cabinet actually approved 2.5 billion shekels, which is about $750 million, to fight crime in the Arab community. The government's plan included establishing two new police stations, one of which will be in this town, in Jisr al-Zara. Many politicians and activists have pointed to this as a sign of progress. Others have said that we need to remain patient to see the results. Something that's easier said than done, of course, when loved ones are being murdered in the streets. Though Mothers for Life worked to get the funding passed, Maysam says it's clearly not enough. More police alone will not move the needle where it counts. What we need, she says, and what Mothers for Life had fought for, is re-education programs and a cultural sensitivity training for the police. Without that... It's all declarations. It's all, you know, how we say it in, Arabi, in, in Arabic, كله حكي فاضي. It's all, you know, talking. Finally, we enter into the house where Walid grew up, the 14-year-old boy who was shot and killed just days earlier. The house we had originally planned to visit. The house's yard is crowded. About 30 women sit in rows facing the bereaved mother and her close family members. Most wear a hijab. They are reading Al-Fatiha, the first surah of the Quran, which is an essential element of Muslim ritual prayer. 
As I listen, I notice an Arabic sign on the wall. It says, to stop violence, it must be addressed at the root. After the prayer ends, we go inside. Maysam asks the mother, Samira, if she would like to share what happened to her son, Walid. She says yes and starts to talk. He had just eaten a whole meal at his grandmother's house. She says, but he asked if he could go get pizza anyway. I told him he could. I was told later, she continues, that he came out of the pizza place, slice in hand, when three bullets were fired. Two hit the pizza, one hit Walid. He was with his nine-year-old sister, and if he hadn't pushed her out of the way, she would have died too. Walid managed to walk for 10 minutes until he reached the house calling, Mom, Mom. From their home, Samira saw her son. He was on the ground, bleeding. The ambulance came only after 40 minutes, she said, and the police never showed up to the scene. It's believed that the shooter was trying to avenge another teenager's death, but missed and shot Walid by mistake instead. Walid died a few days later in the hospital. Many of the mothers, both those from Mothers for Life and others who are visiting the home, share their own stories with Samira. One of the mothers with us, Suhaila Abbas, talked about her son. My son, she says, was around the same age as Walid when he died. He was also shot while eating pizza in his neighborhood. Now, I'm not a mother, but being with them, so many moms, in so much pain, it was overwhelming. We were all in tears. Before we get up to go, Watfa Jabali from the Mothers for Life group looks at Samira and tells her, A new woman joining the group, it is one of the hardest things for me. It's like reliving the day of my son's death. We walk from the house in silence. It takes a moment for my son to say anything. The sun is setting as we get back to the cars. I'm really speechless. How can you explain it? How can you talk to a grieved mother that lost her child? He wanted to eat a pizza and he didn't return. After the day with Maytham, Muna, Samira, and all those women in Jisr al-Zara, I broke down and cried when I got home. Then, Things seemed to get even worse with the general election on November 1st, 2022. The result? Benjamin Netanyahu was voted back in power, and he created the most far-right government in the country's history. As part of that government, Itamar Ben-Gvir, a well-known provocateur with such extreme beliefs about Arabs that the military refused to let him serve, became the head of the Ministry of National Security. He is now in charge of the Israeli police. I wanted to see how this might affect Maytham's work, so I gave her a call. We are all scared. Of course, he will affect policemen, he will affect the policies of the police. Police, she says, will likely feel more empowered to use excessive force and violence against our community. But she adds, there has always been force and violence used against the community, 
This may not be all that different from the treatment we've gotten for years. She hopes that Jewish Israelis will hear their call, the call of mothers who have lost their children, pleading for help, the call of fellow citizens in need. As many in the Israeli Jewish community protest the new government, calling for a more democratic Israel, Maysam says, let's not forget that a fundamental part of democracy should also be the right to safety for all citizens. As a society, the Jewish and the Arab society are responsible. Maysam and the group continue to work for policy changes. They demand justice for their beloved ones. They demand that the police punish criminals. They demand that the state authorities do their job and they continue to visit newly bereaved families. For us, it's also a sign that we should continue more and more and we should increase our actions. We don't have the privilege to say uh, we are going back home. Maria Rashid. To learn more about this crisis, check out our show notes for more information. So this episode has a lot to take in. For me, I think what will resonate for a long time is that image of Walid, just 14, with his pizza in his hand, you know, having the forethought to push his sister out of the way from the bullets. It's just uh, overwhelming. And it reminds me of other people I've spoken to about this topic when reporting on it, including um, a mother who told me that she moved her children's beds away from the wall so they would not be as close to the window so that if, God forbid, a, you know, bullets came flying through the window, her children would be um, more likely to be safe. Yeah, Sally, I mean, this constant fear, you, you see it, you breathe it, you live it, and, you know, tell me what it feels like. I think it's, it's kind of unfathomable to, to understand this high-level constant insecurity and fear that Palestinian uh, citizens really experience. It's, it's an endless cycle of violence. Uh, in fact, um, in some cities, it is a tradition almost. It's known. It's sad to say it's a tradition, right? But if one of the families lose a member of their family due to a feud between uh, organized crime organizations, if they put chairs out, it means they are accepting uh, condolences. Uh, it means they are griefing. If they don't, it means they are seeking revenge. It's just yet another cycle of violence. And the problem is that it's not very clear who's going to bring us solutions. So Sally, you've been at the demonstrations that have taken place, you know, calling for justice, calling for solutions. What have they been like? Very angry, um, with a lot of pain, uh, people fighting for their lives. Uh, and uh, they were met with extreme police uh, violence, which added to the complexity, right? Because who are you asking solutions from? From the police. And it's the same police that is beating you up, arresting you. How do we redefine the relationship between the Palestinian people in Israel and uh, the government, the police, the, the institutions? And how do you do that when Ben Gvir is, you know, um, a well-known provocateur and anti-Arab racist is in charge of the police? That's yeah, absolutely. I think this is, we are really at a very, very um, absurd uh, time. So on that note, uh, we live indeed in absurd and very challenging times, but we will be back in a couple of weeks with a new story. So stay tuned. Groundwork is created and produced by me and Yoshi Fields. The episode was reported by Maria Rashed with content and audio editing by Yoshi. Additional content editing by Elisheva Goldberg. 
Jill Shupak scored the piece. Art and design by Nick Acosta. We need your help. If you found what you just heard meaningful, if you think this kind of reporting is important, then please take a few seconds right now and rate us and give us a review on whatever platform you're using to listen. We depend on you to make these stories. So make sure to subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends. This show is a joint production of New Israel Fund and the Alliance for Middle East Peace. New Israel Fund is the premier funder and organizer of progressive Israeli civil society, with over $300 million from tens of thousands of people to hundreds of organizations, working for change on the ground for over 40 years. The Alliance for Middle East Peace is the largest and fastest growing network of Palestinian and Israeli peace builders. You can learn more about them in their websites in nif.org and allmap.org. And you can learn more about our show there or at groundworkpodcast.com. Our theme music is by System Ali, a multilingual, binational hip-hop group whose cultural activity is deeply rooted in the communities where they work. Additional music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Make sure to subscribe, and thanks for listening. Shukran al-Mutaba. Toda.